1: Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's
2: like the police knew who he was before they got here.
1: From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean
2: at USC was leading a secret double life. I'm Danny Shapiro, and this is The Way We Live Now. Today is day 79 since we've become afraid of invisible droplets, and day 33 of this podcast. My guest today is someone I greatly admire for her spirit, her generosity, her many magnificent books, her work as a conservationist and activist, Terry Tempest-Williams. Harry, thank you so much for talking with me about the way we live now.
3: I so appreciate that you're doing this. And as I mentioned to you, I think your voice has this energetic quality that pulls all of us in. It's another form of storytelling. So I'm grateful. Mm -hmm. And I think about the last time we saw each other in Austin, Texas. And what a different world we're living in now.
2: What a different world. A crowded restaurant we were in. Exactly. Tell me where you are right now in as much detail as you can.
3: I am sitting on our porch in Castle Valley, Utah, which is a small desert hamlet of maybe 300 people. It's maybe an hour east of Moab and 90 minutes west of Grand Junction, Colorado, in the Colorado Plateau. I'm staring right now at Round Mountain, which is a extinct volcanic plug. It looks like a, a igneous breast, and behind uh, Round Mountain are the LaSalle, still snow-covered, but aspen are greening out right now, 12,000 feet. Um, to my left, which is east, I'm looking at Castleton Tower, a 400-foot, sandstone, Wingate sandstone monolith that actually has a pulse, Danny, that Mm. I feel every day. It's what Native people have always known and we've intuited here. Um, And next to Castleton Tower is a sandstone formation called the Priest and Nuns. The sky is blue, sort of a lavender, cerulean blue, with a boiling up of cumulus clouds, In the south, over the La Salle, I suspect it may rain this afternoon. As I told you earlier, this past week we've had huge winds, which is why we have sandstone arches, you know, in this part of the world. Um, So we've been without internet or phone for about four days. I'm glad that the breezes have calmed down. Um, Closest to me, I'm looking at rabbit brush swaying. It's kind of a, a silver... Blue color, feathery, um, and of course, sage, which I can smell on the breeze, with a pink it's called a Palmer's penstemon staring at me, pollinated by hummingbirds and black carpenter bees. I'm looking at prickly pear and an open sacred datura, um, which Brooke and I will put our chairs there tonight and watch this blossom unfurl. It is the stuff of hallucinations and dreams. And um, just before you called, I, we had a new bird I had not seen here yet. Um, it's a black chin sparrow we identified. Um, ravens, mourning doves, meadow larks, uh, western bluebirds. It's just such an alive, beautiful place. And north um, to my back is the Colorado River, running red. And to the west where the setting sun sinks into the landscape called Porcupine Rim. So it's we're in a salt dome valley that collapsed and surrounded, framed by these red rock cliffs, the river and the LaSalle Mountains.
2: I think Terry, that may be my favorite description in all of my asking people to describe their surroundings, it brought tears to my eyes, and I think it's I think it's because of the profound and loving attention to detail. Of course, that informs the way that you see the world and the uh, reverence for it,
3: you know, Danny, I have been here since March eleventh. I have what going on twelve weeks. The only humans I've seen are Brooke, my husband, and my brother Hank, who gratefully survived the covid nineteen. Um, He was sick for six weeks Mm. in March, and he came on April 6th. Uh, We went into quarantine together, and he just left last week. That's it, and I cannot tell you how full I am. You know, yesterday we had this encounter with this five-foot bull snake that we found, you Mm. know, sleep. It just slithered underneath the house, Mm. and they look like rattlesnakes by design and intention, but they don't have the diamond head or the rattles. Um, I found out that, I couldn't believe this, they will take, eat, um, prey upon, close to maybe over a thousand deer mice um, a season. And we have never seen so many bull snakes. Um, You know, last night we were watching this Western tanager. We've got these incredible colored lizards. They're like a golden beaded turquoise head marvel that are just, sunning on, you know, sandstone slabs. And then at night, you get this kind of current of um, inebriated flight that belongs to the uh, turkey vultures. I mean, it is the most thrilling, exciting place. My father, whom I miss dearly, we've not seen each other since February, just said, Terry, I cannot believe you're taking it to this extreme. And I went, Dad, we're supposed to be home. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it's a gift to be home. And that's sort of the the paradox, isn't it, of each day, this gratitude and grief that we're holding, knowing of the suffering. I mean, we almost lost my brother. Um, the beauty and terror that I walk with every day. It's it's these waves I
2: feel. Yeah. Do you? Absolutely. Um, in fact, I read something that you uh, tweeted. Um, you've been tweeting these amazing photographs that have made me very happy about uh, Grizzly Mama 399 um, yes. and her cubs, her four oh. cubs. And you've been sharing photographs on Twitter, and you wrote this, and I, I wrote it down because it just felt so true about these times. And I think it was as a result of seeing, you know, the stunning front page of the New York Times uh, with the staggering list of names of those who have been lost to COVID-19. And you wrote, Today feels like a reckoning and an awakening. So many deaths in this time of COVID-19. The climate of unknowing creates daily waves of beauty and terror, grief and gratitude. And then I see these dear sweet cubs of Grizzly Mama 399, the joy, the resiliency out of darkness we emerge. And, you know, I think that that, is that sort of slippery feeling that I've been feeling is the porousness, the moving between beauty and terror, the moving between grief and gratitude, almost as if they're inseparable. They're all happening all at once during this time, combined with the fact that there's this slowdown that so many of us are experiencing. I wanted to ask you, did you... In everything that you just described to me, you've always seen the natural world very deeply. But do you feel like you're seeing it more deeply during this time? I'm here. Yeah. You know, I have
3: not experienced a spring in the desert for a very long time because I've been teaching, you know, in Cambridge at the Divinity School and before that at Dartmouth. And so I I just feel like I've come alive. It's this daily unfurling that I am in just absolute awe of, that's where I dwell. That's where my peace lives. That's where I feel most deeply um, content, rooted, and inspired by. And, you know, we lived in Jackson Hole for, uh, for quite a while, and our family migrates there every year. 399 has been part of all of our lives for 24 years. She was born in 1996. Mm. And, you know, no one thought she would emerge this year. You know, it was a big winter everyone wondered, and then just this past week, here she arrives, you know, in full glory with these four beautiful grizzly cubs, and you just think, oh my God, you know, there is this resiliency, this power, this strength, and joy that emerges, and so you think, you know, we will emerge too. How do we find that kind of patience and and live deeply in the hibernation, in this solitude? And I am so grateful for it and aware of the privilege and yet also the inner turmoil, the worry, the concern, the the empathy uh, Mm -hmm. that rises, the frustration from the political aspect. I mean, two hours south of us is Indian country with the Navajo Nation. And you know, this morning I just talked to Jonah Yellowman, who is a medicine person, the spiritual advisor for Utah Dine Bikaya, who has been so outspoken and such a a potent leader with the Bears Ears National Monument story. Mm -hmm. I asked him the question you just asked me, you know, what are you seeing? And he lives in Monument Valley, and, you know, he described what he was seeing. And then he said, you know, but what my elders are telling me, and he's in his late 60s, is, you know, this is a time to take care of what is closest to us, Um, our fire, our water our families, the land, ourselves. And, you know, he said, I've been saying to people, you know, don't, don't come to me to know what to do. Return to yourself. And it's this listening to the heart um, that I think is, again, as Rilke says, the beauty and the terror of not only remembering who we are without distractions, being home in this planetary pause, but really um, interrogating who we are. And I wonder, you know, who will we emerge as when this lifts?
2: I've been asking my guests on this podcast what we hope we will learn from this time that we're living through. It feels impossible to me that we will forget. Um, The lessons feel so deep. And the time... So rich and so intense, um, we really are being forced to look inward. Many of us look inward um, just by our very nature, but we also, you know, I I I really relate to what you said about being home in the spring for the first time. I feel that way here in rural Connecticut, where I live. I I haven't been home. Uh, my home has been a place where I drop my bags and I unpack and then I pack again and where I take care of my family but it's it's kind of where we alight as opposed to where we live deeply and suddenly now I'm seeing and experiencing and taking in not just the natural world around us but the rhythms of ourselves the rhythms of our days who we are I just feel like when we do emerge You know, which we will. It feels impossible Mm -hmm. right now to imagine, but we will. Just like 399 did, we will emerge. But who will we be and who will we be to each other? I
3: can't get on a plane. I mean, aside from the fact that it's, you know, a risk, I just physically, emotionally, spiritually cannot get on another plane, Danny. Mm -hmm. And I just made a commitment, you know, I am not going to get on a plane um, for the rest of the year. And Mm -hmm. just that alone has been this chiropractic shift of settling. Mm -hmm. That this is where I am. This is where I belong. And this is what I want to be part of. And I'm so grateful, you know, for the telephone, for internet, Mm -hmm. for Zoom, because it's another way of connecting. And energetically, I'm really interested in what that looks like and how intimacy can be maintained. I just talked to my nieces and nephews, and we're doing um, homeschool nature walks, you know, mm. in the desert with them. Mm. They just gave me a report today of the Cooper's hawk that now has, you know, they are a pair in the sycamore tree with with young, and they've been gathering the bones of of the predation, you know, on their sidewalks. And they're so. At first, they were terrified, and it was macabre, and they were scared. And now. They just take delight knowing this is predator-prey relations. And I just, you know, my father, we talk every day. Um, I I could never have imagined, Danny, that when I left the Divinity School with my students, and this is a, a writing class and a reading class on finding beauty in a broken world, that the second half of the class could have been as rich and as present as it was. Um And we learned so much together. And there was, in our last class, this moment where I just, you know, took my screen outside and just focused it on Castleton Tower, and we just listened to birdsong. And then all of a sudden you heard, you know, Blue Jays from, you know, where one of my students was in Cambridge to a different kind of bird that one of our students in India was, and a different kind of bird song in Pakistan, and, you know, a different bird song in California. And I realized... Then the birds started responding to one another. Can
2: you believe that? Wow. That's and amazing. And we were
3: just in tears, and none of us wanted to leave. And, you know, there was a moment where one of our classes was to be held at Walden Pond, and we weren't going to be there. And one of the students who lived near there said, you know, I will go. I will take pictures. I will gather water, and we will have this closing ritual, which she did. Took a friend who was also a member of the class who took pictures and then we all changed our background image to water, moving water, and it looked as though we were all swimming in Walden Pond together. Mm. I mean, It just makes me weep, thinking, you know, so here is our medium. This is where we are. And how do we find the heartbeat of that modality if this is what we've been given?
2: I love what you're saying because... You know, there's so much talk, and it's you know, and and rightly so about Zoom fatigue, and you know, all of these meetings with all of these people, and and transitioning to this virtual space, and yet, I've experienced in my own relationships, and I've also heard from some of my other guests, like for example, the president of Wesleyan University, on, and he teaches as well, uh, Michael Roth, and he was talking about the way that there was this kind of intimate glimpse into his students' lives. And, you know, the ones who were in a different time zone might be like still in bed with their morning coffee. And and also he talked about the way that the work of the students seemed to grow more profound during this time. And he also spoke about a theater performance uh, that was supposed to be A live performance when it was first conceptualized and then was done virtually, and that he said was absolutely extraordinary. And so there's something here, right? There's some way in which we're all isolated, and yet at the same time, we're more connected.
3: I think it's, you know, how creativity creates this agile spirit. Um, One of my students, you know, had to read her essay. We were all there, you know, she read her essay from a closet with a dangling light bulb, mm. you know, because she didn't want her mother to hear. And it was this expression of voice that was so profound that when she was done, I mean, I just started howling like a coyote. People were crying, <laughs> we were just cheering her, you know, we couldn't have done that in the classroom, you know, and and also we threw out the syllabus, you know, it's always a map anyway, It's it's fluid, not fixed, but... I just said, let's, you know, the final project isn't relevant anymore. It will emerge. And, you know, I had, the students were so concerned that they were saying, you know, we're not being productive. We don't know what to do. And I wrote them this long letter saying, you know, our task now, our only task is to, is to listen, to be attentive, and to be kind to ourselves, to those around us. And, and you know, it was like, it's okay to do nothing. Just let's breathe. That's more than enough. I mean, we are in this historic moment, this planetary pause. The next day, I read this piece by this intern in the New York Times saying, This is not the time to sit on the couch. And I thought, OK. I went outside, said my prayers to Round Mountain. Um, I got this text from my own doctor, who's now the chief operating physician at the University of Utah Medical Center, which you know, brings together all the rural clinics in the Intermountain West. And I had sent him some saves saying, good luck. I can't imagine what you're facing. He sent me images, you know, uh, that looked like a military installation preparing for what was to come. And I heard, you know, all of a sudden I just typed, how can I help? The next thing I know, um, I'm handed these three, this three-page, single-spaced letter um, from the woman in charge of patient services saying, The frontline healthcare workers, doctors, nurses, technicians, food services, custodians, they cannot curate inspiration for themselves, patients, the families. This is what we need. I just, it was beyond me. I put this out to my students. I said, I know we just talked about doing nothing but breathe, but this door has opened. The bureaucracy has lifted. We have a chance to do a coyote chaplaincy here through the arts, but it's up to you. And I mean that, you know, you have to decide as a community what you want to take on. In two days, they had organized themselves, had identified their gifts, had a liaison from from the class to the hospital, and in two days they had created a five-week coyote chaplaincy with poems, with essays, with photographs, with letter writing, with telephone calls if necessary, Um, playlists, original videos, rock videos, um, the reading of sacred texts, I was in tears. Mm. I did nothing but create an open space. Mm -hmm. And in the last two months, they created, I think together, we all created 51 offerings. It changed me. I think it changed all of the class. And that never could have happened if we had not thrown out the curriculum, if the students hadn't said yes and
2: organize themselves to serve. It's extraordinary, Terry. I usually end these conversations asking what's bringing you hope, but we've been talking about hope for this entire time. We've been talking about hope and resiliency and lessons learned, and um, this is such a beautiful conversation, and I'm just so grateful to you for everything that you are and for taking the time to talk with me today.
3: Your voice takes us to the depths. And I think about that lovely quote from Christine Lyspector when she said, I now know what I want to stand still in the middle of the sea. I feel that each time you and I speak.
2: Mm. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Way We Live Now. Tell us the way you're living now. We want to hear. Call us on, you might want to get a pen for this, 909 713 8995. That's 909 713 8995. And record your story, and we might just use it on the pod. Also, you can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash the Way We Live Now pod. We are creating a community here, and we would love for you to join us. You can find me on Instagram at Danny Ryder. The Way We Live Now is a production of iHeartRadio. It's produced by Lowell Beth Ann Macaluso is executive producer. Special thanks to Tristan McNeil and Tyler Klang. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast.